This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Rob Ryan Red, a Wrexham FC podcast by Nathan Salt and Rich Faye, bringing you all the latest views, news and interviews from around the race course. Now, if you're new around here, make sure to subscribe. But enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Kreuzer, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham AFC podcast brought to you in association with Red Tent People Development. There's a mini heatwave back here in the UK and we are hotting things up with a very special guest on today's podcast. Nath, you had the pleasure of catching up with a Wrexham legend, former player, former captain, former manager, someone who's lifted the trophy for us at Wembley, Dean Keats. And yeah, first of all, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing well. It was funny thinking back to when I did this interview you were stranded in a in an in an airport in Oslo in a Norwegian airport so I got the luxury of speaking to like you say a former captain former manager player who lifted the FA trophy for us at Wembley that time we dug ourselves out of snow I'm doing well uh busy busy month start the season and everything and a lot to unpack Rich uh when we come again for the podcast when we it'll be post Yeovil post Chesterfield so Games are hotting up and it's very, very exciting. We're back there on the terraces. But yeah, Dean Keats, highly, highly requested, as you've seen. I put a little teaser out before this drops of him talking about Edgar David. So that was the story you desperately wanted to know about when we played Barnet with Edgar David's in charge and the captain. He's great value there. There's so many great anecdotes. And I, I guess a, a little bit of an apology because I couldn't get it all in. You know, five years as a player, the way it's working, if you didn't see the announcement on Twitter, the way it's going to work is... We've done an interview with Dean focusing on his playing career. It's a bumper episode, loads in here, but just so we focus on his playing career and the guys at Fearless and Devotion, they are doing his management career in a couple of weeks. So you'll have this one, a bit of a break, and then Dean talking about management. And also a shout out to the Fearless guys. We've teamed up with them this season for a little bit of a special project, Rich. We're teaming up to provide tickets to some of those that aren't able normally um you know, locals maybe that can't get to Wrexham games. So more details on that to come uh, in the coming weeks about how that's going to work and how maybe we can decide where those tickets go. But it's really exciting. And, you know, documentary is not far away. Dean is in it, a little short cameo in it for him. 
But yeah, the main thing was him as a player, lots to get through. So without further ado, is that it? Can I tee you up, Rich? Can I can I get us in there? I'm very excited to show people what, what I spoke people, about. People haven't tuned in for us, have they? All I would say is that if you are new around here, even if you're not, maybe, do leave a like, share this on social media as much as you can. If you've got a mate who doesn't listen to podcasts, but they want to hear about Dean Keats, please just send them a link or help them listen to it in, in any way you can. Subscribe as well, because that really does help us grow as a podcast and get to even more Wrexham fans across the world, which, you know, with the documentary coming out as well, there's going to be a lot more of us knocking about. So, yeah, if you like this podcast, if you like any of our podcasts, please just tell one person, someone who isn't really good with podcasts or whatever, just send them a link, see what they think of it. And, yeah, just give them that taster. Dean Keats, as the player, just sit back, relax and enjoy. Dean, long time coming then on the podcast. Finally, thanks for coming on. Firstly, how are you? We haven't we haven't really seen or heard from you in a long time. How are you doing? Are you all good? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. It's uh, as you say, it's been a long time since I left uh, the managerial side. Um, so yeah, other than that, I'm I'm fit, I'm healthy, so I can't move. I can't move. We've got people worse off in life. Yeah, exactly. Can't moan. Uh, I I mean, I find a way to moan normally if we've if we've lost out in in the playoffs as we did, but look. Plenty, you know, uh, good and well what it's like for the current lot to miss out on the playoffs. But I'll tell you what, let's, for ease of both of us, let's just go back to the beginning. And you come to Wrexham. So you've been, you know, bit, we did Wickham, wasn't it? You were there before, six yeah, month yeah, deal yeah. there. You come into Wrexham. Was there any any doubts about coming, you know, into non league? No, not, no, non, not at all, really. I mean, um, I would have only dropped, <clears throat> I only would have only dropped down to non league. Obviously, Wrexham, Luton at the time, I think it just came down. Mm. Um, I was possibly going to go to Luton in the January to go to Wickham. Um, it didn't really materialise under Richard Money. That was. And I ended up going to Wickham on the back end of turning out my contract up at Peterborough. A lot of politics there after the Daz left. And uh, I kind of asked Russ Martin, <clears throat> I live was finally the next call this act to me and he, we signed him from Wickham and we was we was as a family we were settled in Peterborough and it was a case of I over finished in Peterborough area within an hour or we come back up north from where my then partner and we sat our roots back up here for the kids to start school. So I kind of drew a circle in there and off beach areas. Um at that time I needed a stopgap from the end of the season to where I was. Wickham was came up um, doing a bit of a relegation battle. Uh, in League One, uh, so I spoke to Russ. I was like, Russ, how far is it? He was like, hour and fifteen minutes. I was like, oh, that's not too bad. So, gone down to Wickham, agreed everything off the phone, gone down a couple of days later, etc. It took me four hours to get there. I was late for training on my first day. It's an hour and fifteen minutes to play a run. It was four hours twenty minutes or something like that on the M25. I got back from training. I was like to Russ, Are "You taking the piss out of me?" Like it's an hour and fifteen minutes. It, like. 12 o'clock at night after a night game. I let I was leaving it like half half five, quarter to five in the end to get in there. It just become a nightmare. I'd gone from for two and a half years, three years, cycling into Peterborough. I was about two miles, three miles away from where the ground was. So we used to just took my went on my mountain bike in and uh, on the cycle path and all that through the through the country lanes and by the river and that. And then I was sitting in the car for about three hours again. I was like, I'm not too old for this now. So <laughs> That, at the end of that season, that was definitely ruled out. And 
it was about the marking about the end of the March time, April time, that I um still close friends, um, associates with Rooster and Daz. And I spoke to them and like, there's like, what are you doing? Uh, and I said to Rooster, I said, have you got any contacts at Wrexham? So we're probably going to look at trying to go back up north. So obviously there's like Wrexham, Stockport, Rochdale, etc. All the ones back up um, Oldham, the ones back up this way. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, let me call Big Roy. So he called Big Roy. Within 20 minutes of that, I had Dean Saunders on the phone. And it was relentless. It was non-stop. It was non-stop, to be fair. So within about a week, it was all agreed. We were going to come back up, etc. And uh, all sat down and done and dusted. But I think he played on a Tuesday night. And he called me about, I think it was about half ten. And he'd had a game. And he was like, um, come and meet me. And I was like... Even I've got the contract, come and meet me. I was like, no, I'm meeting tomorrow. It's my day off. Come I'm going to come up tomorrow. I'll give you my word. Look, that's that's me. If I give you my word, I'm done. It's as good as signed. I want you to do it tonight. And I was like, it's half 10. And I was like, I'm not doing it tonight. And he's like, I'll meet you at um, Corley Services. It's halfway for us both. I went, I'm coming up tomorrow. <laughs> I went, we've arranged to come up. We're bringing the kids up. They're going to go and say, no, no, I want to come across and sign. And he went, no, no, I'll meet you tonight. And in the end, I end up meeting the calling services about midnight. And we sat there till half past three in the morning. And he's got the salt and pepper shakers moving around the table. We're going to do this. And I'm just sat there clock watching. It, the services are all shut. So I'm still open for the toilets and stuff like that. And I can remember the cleaner just walking around, just looking at us, thinking, what are they doing? Not had a drink for about two and a half hours because everywhere was shut. And I was just like, clock watching, trying <laughs> to get back, get back home. And I got back and it was like, I walked from the front door, I think about four o'clock in the morning. And after that, he, to be fair, he was he kind of got me through it. We come on the journeys and stuff like that. But every night, first he'd get a phone call, and it was around tea time. So he was obviously going to watch a game or he'd go to do something, and he'd be on the phone. And I used to get the, the look off the kids' mom, like again, <laughs> again. And then off I'd go upstairs out the way, ever come back downstairs. She'd be like, oh, "You missed tea. You missed the blah blah shit." So, <laughs> now nah, to be fair, his enthusiasm and stuff like that. That's that was massive for part of it, and basically how much he how much he wanted him to be up there. But as I said, it was agreed within a week, and he was done and dusted. What 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 did sort of Rooster and and Daz Dan Ferguson obviously what were they saying about Wrexham? I'm sure you sort of picked their brain on on the club, or did you already know a lot about about the club beforehand? I knew everything about the club beforehand. I I'd, <clears throat> um, I spoke to them about it. They played there, uh, been there day in day out for a long time. Uh, I'd played there numerous times, so I know what it was like, the stadium was like, etc. what the fans were like. Uh, so I knew all that side myself. Um, we trained there a couple of times at uh, College Park when we played We played Chester when I was at Peterborough. So we stayed up, stayed up at Carden Park. We played Chester on the Saturday. Then we were playing Mac on Tuesday night. So we were up there one time for about five days. Um, so I knew what College Park was like. So I knew all those years ago, still is now, unfortunately. I was walking into a non-league club, is in title, uh, but as in the setup-wise, it wasn't. So I had no issues in dropping down to the size. I knew what the club was about. So you, obviously you've gone in, fans have looked at it and gone, here's a player that's had six promotions. So we're crying out for We had thought we maybe could bounce straight back up. We didn't do that. It's 2010 at this point. Dean can talk a great game and move salt shakers and stuff around. It's obviously with the benefit of hindsight, it hasn't happened. But did you really think with the group that when you went in, you're looking at, I don't know, a Mark Crichton, a, a Jay Harris, people like that yourself, 
did you think this is going to be we can do this here we can we can get up here with this I think um, obviously when I first came in it was it's, it was a slow, bit of a slow burner at the beginning of the season I think I remember I crossed mm, daddy for yeah. the course of the season um, it was looking at it back then it was the club was in a massive transitional period but it hadn't finally happened until it changed over to the fans but it was it was not a mess, but it more, almost was to an extent. I mean, Jeff, to be fair, um, up until the end, he used to be down the training ground quite often. And he always opened, spoke. We had everything like that. I mean, I sat down and done the bonuses with him um, for that season. And he told me about the amount of bonuses he paid at the season before. So, I, in a way, you can understand why you just thought investment-wise, you'd pumped a lot in, that he kind of started pulling things back. Because I'd heard stories about like he'd come in and buying all the treatment stuff, all the new stuff that needed to be added and stuff like that. And uh, I sat down and he, he was talking about the bonus sheet. And he paid 35 grand out, I think, the season before in bonuses to underachieve. And I was like, taken aback. And I was like, right, Ed will go about this. Because he's somebody who's here is going to put bonus sheet, blah, blah, blah. And he still paid it all out, even though I think the finish was it. Didn't we say five playoffs in the season before? Yeah, yeah. So he paid out a fair whack and he was, he was almost like, so I think he thought he was going to come in with me, it'd be like an oddball, and he's like, well, I'm not paying no bonus out unless anything's achieved, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, that's how bonuses work. And he's like, and I was like, look, I've never been in a football club that you've been paid something if you, if you don't deserve it and you underachieve. I said, look, down to Peterborough, um, Darren McCantley, we used to go in there with figures and he'd get out, basically get it, fucking rip it up and throw it in the bin. And turn around and say, I ain't giving you that, I'll give you this, finish in the top two, get promoted. And we'd be like, ah, it would be double what we've asked for. So it was all like, you're only going to get it if you achieve. So I think Jeff almost thought I was going to go in there and like try and pull his pants down and get more out of him. And I was like, nah, I said, I'm sure that's how bonus is happening. I said, every club I've done that, it's only ever been paid on, 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 some, on achieving something. I said, because then the club get what they want and then players get the size of the cake what they want. So, yeah, that was all a bit strange, but obviously through that course of the season, obviously Jay was in on trial. Obviously Jay mm. come with a lot of uh, <laughs> baggage from what had happened and stuff like that. But I played against him one or two times, so I knew what he was about. He, like, he was a good lad off the pitch. I hadn't known him off the pitch, so you get to know some of his character. I'm still good friends with him now. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a good group and it was good pros there and it was a, an experienced group. So it was, it was players who'd question each other and demand more of each other, sets to high standards. And if people are adhering to the high standards, they'd be fronted about it. So, yeah, look, you fall short on, on a few things. Ultimately, a little bit of luck along the way you always need. Um, but then maybe it's a lack of quality or dis- decision-making in, in the final third or wherever. And that determines what happens at the end of the season. But that, that dressing room was so interesting, I'll say. Not bizarre. It, it had, like yourself, Kreitz, Jay, proper you know, players that we could plug into any team of the eras and just they're going to win and they're going to do really well. And then you had such maverick players where they could play amazing, you know, like a Pogba or a Chislovich or a Mayebi or a Tabubios or these kind of players that just could play like 9 out of 10 or 2 out of 10. There's no in-between. They don't give you 6 or 7s every week, just two extremes. And I was watching back some of the stuff about, you know, Maisie runs Pogba was making and you were saying before you came on about car sharing with my baby. I mean, what was that side of the dressing room like? These other kind of characters that bring a smile to your face probably in the tough times. Yeah, it was. I mean, even with Josh, Josh, now we're friends. Um, <laughs> I get the odd message, random message off him now and again. I mean, when I first become a manager, 
I'm an agent now, Dino. I've got players I can help you. And I was like, Jossie, you're the last person. <laughs> the conversations I've seen how you deal with things. But no, it was it was good. I mean, it's like as you said, Pogba. I mean, I was at the point with Pogs and Jossie um, after the original car score. I was like, I'll do with uh, Tolly, um, Chris Blackburn, etc. Kind of dwindled. They moved on. Um, I was left at one point with just me, Pogs and Jossie. <laughs> So, like, you're just sitting in the car and you've got them two talking to and I'll just be sat in the back and I'll just be having banter on left, right, and centre. But then then it became just me and Jossie. So I'm sat there and he, and he bought a car off Mozart. He had a Ford Focus and he couldn't drive for shit. And I was like, <laughs> gambling my life every day. And I'm thinking, I've got three, I've got two kids at the time. And I'm thinking, I'm gambling. I'm rushing my letter with my wife here, getting on the M56 at Junction 7, all the way. <laughs> and then and I'm thinking, it's not me. Couldn't fall asleep, refused to fall asleep because I, I used to love a cat nap on the way back from training and stuff like that. I refused to fall asleep. But he'd, he'd have a conversation, he'd be on the phone with people, he'd be driving, he'd be sat there with one hand and he'd start whacking the dashboard. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Jossie, put your fucking hands on the dashboard. I said, Who are you arguing with? I'm, he went, I'm not arguing. I'm like, Oh, Africans, you have to, the loudest person has to speak. You have to speak loud or somebody else speaks louder than you. I'm like, Can you not just have a conversation and like wait for somebody else? And he's whacking the dashboard. And I'm like, Jossie, please keep your hands on the dashboard, mate, and get off the phone. In the end, it was at the point I'm all, I was almost going to buy a Bluetooth speaker just to be able to speak through his cars, people. But again, great character. And I, you know what I mean? For the period of the time that we was in together and traveling with him, every day was a laugh just because it was Jossie. So we go into that 2010-2011 season, a couple of goals. Obviously, one of them has been replayed many a time. Your first one, the Kidderminster goal. Yeah. You know, a, a, a phenomenal strike of, of any player. Do you still remember that one or replay it? I mean, sure, you remember it, but I mean, you kind of it, the, if anyone hasn't seen it, anyone who's a bit younger that hasn't seen it, maybe, ball's come out, hasn't it? You've And you've struck it, like uh, you've absolutely leathered it on the volley, Top corner at the race course in front of the what we now know is the kind of university end, the tech end, Eric Roberts, or all, all these different names. Ama- an amazing first way to, to kind of open your account for Wrexham. Yeah, you just look, it's you envisage it happening, you see it develop. And I think it was Curtis crossed it, somebody crossed it to come in. I think Central Oscar and Arf Peterson on it came about 25 yards out. And body wise, I was outside the near post. So it was, I had to just step another yard. I was never going to do my right foot. Let's be honest, my, my leg had been <laughs> car park. So I had to step another side to the right. But because it was up in the air so long, it gave me a time to adjust. And I just thought, I've got, because I'm outside, I could see all that side of the near pole. So I have to catch it on the outside of my boot to actually bring it back into play. Look, you see it happen. You see it develop within your head a couple of seconds before. And it it came off. It came off. Look, I could probably name... 500 down of the part of the top of the cup or over the top of the university stand, played basket stadiums, pitch down the <laughs> road, played many state, many as um, stands down there. But look, it, it nestled in the top corner. And it's one I do look back with sweet memories. It was a, a good finish. There's that one and also the, uh, the chip against Luton. Yeah, yeah, so that's 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 to come to. But I mean, a good finish is kind of underselling it. I think. I think. Uh, I think you should be proud of that one definitely. And. Uh, I guess, I guess in that sort of first season, because there's so much to get through, I mean, what were your early impressions of 
Dean Saunders as a manager in terms of just working with him day to day, not necessarily in bugging you in a, in a service station, but his actual tactics, the way he used you in the midfield, how, how comfortable did you feel playing under him? Yeah, easily, easily. Look, he had his way of playing and how he played. And I think it wasn't until the lights Pog turned up, um, Danny Wright, we had Moss up there. We were, look, people going about Wrexham playing entertaining football. We didn't play entertaining football. We knew our jobs were well drew. And that's probably the most direct football team I've ever played in that team, my whole career. We had diagonals. We knew where they was coming. You had Kreutz who created the ball 40 yards. So if the goal kick weren't pushing us back 25, 30 yards an hour on half, Kreutz was winning the head and he was coming back straight down, down central half's neck. You got Danny there, you got Mozza there, who all both again. And as you said, you got Pogs, he's either built like an absolute brick shit house, <laughs> or, he, or he's getting a tap in the back, he's falling on top of the ball. But when on his day, he was unmovable. So look, we, we were we were drilled, we were organised. So we wasn't pretty, but we were effective. So within the roles, it was, it was pretty easy. Midfield played in second balls, arrived in second balls. And then, as most teams do, we, we played in the opposition's off. Yeah, I mean, did you feel like someone like a, to go back to him, someone like a Pogba, did you feel like you had to keep on him? You know what I mean? Because he, he was so unpredictable. Was that, for someone like you who was consistently putting in displays like Jay and others, was that, that must have been frustrating as hell for you? Um, no, because you, you get to learn people's characters. And if you're on him too much, he's going to go under. He would have right. gone under. Um, and you, mentality-wise, you look at, where people are from, etc., and the mentality of obviously British players, players in your face, etc., etc. Their his mentality would be a bit different. It's a bit more relaxed. It's like play this, that, all calm temp tempo. So you learn that. And I've played with a few French players at Warsaw. I've played with a fair few, and I played with some when I was at Kidderminster. And the players I played with at Warsaw, look, they were some of the best players I've played with. Um, I played with Roger Bowley. Um, uh, Basil Bowley's brother, one of them, but he's Stuart Pierce, Roger, mm. phenomenal, phenomenal player, unbelievable. He scored 20 goals before Christmas. Christmas come, whether it, he turned up in Balaclava. He didn't score, he didn't even entertain playing for that three months because whoever had gone back. And I played with another player, Jeff Perron. He was the best player I'd ever played with in my career. Uh, technically, amazing. He was, for an 18 year old, he was like to me, just give me the ball all the time. And I was like, two, three players, give me the ball. He was exceptional. And then I went to Kidderminster and then I played with a few French players there and with no disrespect to them, there was nowhere near the quality that I played with. And you could see the temperament and the mentality was very, very different from these players that I played with because technically it was nowhere near. So if you got on top of players who technically are not as good or can't deal with it, you'd send them under. And that's not saying that about Pogs because Pogs was a great lad and you learned his character and getting to know somebody in the change room instead of travelling in with somebody. When he needed to be told, he'd be told. You could tell him, but if everybody was on him and too many people was on him, you're going to send him under. And you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. As I said, home-based players can take it a little bit more because you're a bit more hardened to it because that's the way it is in this country. You got told, obviously, back then when I came through. Uh, as a kind of, as a captain, like we, we've known you as always pretty much the skipper, skip, whatever. How do you, did you just learn this throughout your career in terms of the work you're putting in? I know we see... Luke Young now or, or Bento's putting in the time, meeting the current signings, going out for walks with them, just trying to build up that rapport that goes way beyond playing for the 90 minutes. I mean, it sounds like you put a lot of work into just knowing your dressing room. Yeah, you, you, you understand people. It's something that you learn. It's even like now, 
in life, you from look, you grow up in a bubble being in football, but what you do, you you're in close quarters with people, so it makes you aware of people how they are. So you one thing it has been good for me is to be able to read people and uh, work the characters out quite quick. And um, yeah, so when you go into the changing room and you're in there, so as a captain, you try to make people as feel as welcome as you can. Because I've been I've been in, gone into change rooms, as I said, I left Warsaw to go down to Peterborough the set, um, and I left the second time. It was hard to get down there, even though I was 28 years of age. It was quite set. There's only me, Chris Westwood, one or two players signed that season, but me and Chris Westwood were the two main signings that season. So it was, you have to go in and you still, even at 28, 29, the experience that I had, you're still kind of finding your place in the changing room, working people's characters out. And that was a strange, the strangest one for me was to go down towards people because I've never really played down south. And as I said, characters and how people are, there's, there's a massive, massive difference between the north and the south, even the Midlands. And there's a lot more cocksure of themselves down south. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say. Definitely. And uh, so, yeah, so like me going into Peterborough and all the lads are like chirpy, like this and like chopsies and all that. Like, wow, is, is this what players are like down here? And so, yeah, it was, it was a strange, strange environment for me. And I, I had to learn about people's characters because the characters go out the window at three o'clock or quarter to eight because I've seen it. And you see some players in the changing room, they're this constantly, constantly banter, banter, banter. And then they go on the pitch, hmm, they become so quiet and they go within themselves. And you think you're quite an extrovert, extrovert person, but they're not introvert. You might be a front. And, and I play with a lot of players like that. So it's, as I said, it's, it's strange when I've gone into Peace Week. It took me, took me time to sell as a player. I mean, there was a point in the first window, I almost ended up going back to Warsaw. Just did not hit the ground running. We didn't sell. A lot of issues moving down there. And I think these are some things that fans obviously don't see on the outside of how somebody's not performing, why is he not performing, why is he not being the player that he was last season. He was our big signing. We've not done this. For mine, it was just we didn't sell. The house that I bought down there, we got put back about three, three, four months. This month we'd be ready. I was meant to be down there for the June. We didn't end up moving down there until October. So in the end, I was commuting. Uh, the, my kid's mom back then, she was heavily pregnant with my second, Joel. So in the end, me being down there and stopping one of the last five nights a week, I was commuting to people every day just to try and give me a bit of normality and, and see my kid, my daughter, and obviously then my heavily pregnant partner and stuff. So that off the pitch is not good enough for me to perform on the pitch. But mm. these are the sides that I don't think fans understand. So you never really know what someone's going through. So even from that situation for myself, going into the managerial side, you put me in a good stead to understand people and get players to open up and say, look, we're not here against you as a club. We're here to help you. And that's one thing that Daz was really good at. That's what Daz was good at. He was at a point, he pulled me in. <laughs> we had an honest, honest conversation and... I almost broke down in tears because um, I was just like, I'm struggling massively. This is WhatsApp and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what the f- you tell me? I'm not here against you. I'm here to work with you to get the best out of you. But, but, but if, if your life off the pitch is not set and not happy, you're going to be shit. So they give me a couple of weeks off. We got the, got moved out. Um, Warsaw came in for me in that gap. And he said, look, it's your decision. Your family's already set back up there. You can pull out of everything down here. And I said, no, you're sorry, me. You put faith in me. I'll turn it around. And fortunate I did from the the Christmas time kicked on and there's a mate staying the old team and got to mind in the season but that side of football is a side that people don't always get to see definitely not um so back in that 2010-11 seeing that Kidderminster goal amazing you scored two more one at Kettering 
one at Gateshead. That was the last one. And basically by Gateshead, we pretty much secured the playoffs. So we had yeah, that yeah. slow burn. Basically, I think we needed a point from two more games. We get the playoffs. Fast forward in a little bit because we've got a lot to get through. Luton in the playoffs. Now, massive grudge match. We hated going there. They didn't really like coming up here. Two massive fan bases. What was the build-up like to that? that first leg because really we we were in we looked in good nick at that point you know we we did look like we we could give anyone a go which we which we could and before it unravels in that first game where was what was the mindset where was the was the build of anything different all the same no nothing but as i said it was an experience it was really experienced changing room so kind of managed itself a lot of time you had no egos you had nothing you had a good bunch of group of players pulling the same direction and um, now we we're in a good good place, and we ju it just didn't we didn't perform on the night. We just did not perform on the night, and they did. And unfortunately for for us as a group and the club, it wasn't good enough. And we we gave a better account of ourselves down down at their place. Mm. But we uh, to say the uh, we left ourselves with uh, the mountain too big to climb. But yeah, three 0 down at half time. I think the the fans were. It, it wasn't even necessarily anger. It was just, we were just gobsmacked, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, just, just shell-shocked. I mean, you know, when you go into the dressing room at half-time, like you say, experienced bunch of lads, good quality players, was it shocking there? Was it was it anger? Was it pointing fingers? Or was it, this isn't over yet, even though it's it, it looks first, a mountain's plan? No matter how you break it down, you look at it, it's the first quarter, four quarters. Yeah. It's not good enough. Home truths need to be said. It's not good enough. If, if we're not performing, look, I was one of the first person to go in there and open my mouth. And I never once not included myself in anything that I said. Um, but as a group, if it's not good enough, it needs to be told. You can't pay private cracks. You can't. So you go in there and it needs addressing. And you do get all the, the shit out to say mm. that you need to get out. And then you have to finish with the positive. To say, you know what, we're still in this. The next goal is massive. Because, yes, we lost the first quarter. So can we win the second quarter? going into the third quarter and the fourth quarter away to give ourselves a chance to this round. We ain't become a shit team overnight. We've had a bad first half. Yeah. We can stop put, stop the rock, build, better get a building block in the second half. Can we, can we get something out of it? Can we nick a goal? Can we nick another goal? And go down there with a bigger chance than what we'd expect to. So we go down there. We've still got mountain to climb, but I think the atmosphere going into that second game was, look, it, if they can score three, we can score three sort of thing. We we come flying out the traps down there. We had about a 1,000 fans, I think, something like that. Big following. You know, it's like Kenilworth Road, massively packed in, isn't it? A kind of horrible ground, but we get an early goal. When we get that penalty and we're thinking, this is oh, this is on, boys. We've, we've got this. And, and, and Gaz Taylor misses that pen. That, that felt like for a lot of us that it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I think, as you said, I think the club, and you go down there, the, that, the, the support was unbelievable down there. And I think almost, as a fan base, it almost was at a point of, we underachieve when we need to achieve. If we're on an even kill, we always underachieve. Yeah. When we're behind, we always seem to defy the odds and come back. I think that's what the club's always been about, uh, from, especially from the time I've been there. And uh, yeah, we started really well, got one back, and obviously the gas missed a penalty that I was made to take, and he pulled rank on me. So, I mean, how does that work as a captain? I mean, I know obviously he wants to take it. Do, do you not feel like you can? Could you take? I've never been one. Cause, I've never been one for causing the scene on a football right. pitch. You see that? You see it now, uh, mm. match of the day or sky up. That for me, it's like it's it shows a lot of ego about not about the individual, not about the team. That's not me saying the bad guys. Guys, like I want it, I want to take it. 
look, wealth experience, played at the top level, scored many, many penalties under pressure. So it was not like it was um, argument say Curtis Corey from right back and you like, I'm taking it. Not at all. So I knew the, the ball was in more than capable hands with Gaz Taylor taking it. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So as I say, he's been there and done it. Been there and done it. And look, unfortunately, the keeper saved it. Yeah, it, 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 look, it, it happens and it wasn't meant to be for us and, and, and so be it. And it wasn't meant to be for them either, as we, as we obviously find out. Yeah. But, but I think it quickly, it was quite sobering that that summer, much bigger things came at play than the very existence of the football club. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, uh, we had Jamie Tolley on. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to anyone who's listened to this. But he was talking about... He, Dean, Dean was talking about wages and there was issues around where the money was going to come from. And, and he told a funny story about how Dean said he was worrying about the last 20 grand in his bank account. And, uh, you know, that's no, the last million. Yeah, that's the last million. That's it. Yeah, that's, it. The the last, million. that's it. The last million in the bank account. And that's uh, obviously getting the violins out. Um, but, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, it, were you looking at it for, for your family's sake? Were you thinking, I, I might have to move here? I, I, the, the club is, is on the precipice. Yeah, you always hope and that something's going to happen, it falls into place. And look, with it being the size of the club, and it's the only, and I mean this with no disrespect to any West Welsh yeah. teams, it's the only big club in North Wales. So you live in hope that there's always something there. And look what's happened with it now, where it is. You think back then, that's always that possibility that there's not many that you can say sleeping giants left. And the club has always been that for a for far too long now. And so you live in hope in the back of your mind that you think, you know what? You look at the fan base, stadium, it's all there that you think, you know what? Somebody's daft enough to come and say, right, I'll throw a couple of million into it and save and give it a go. So that's in the back of your mind. But then there's, there's points when it, there's point, also points and you're like, this might not actually happen. Someone might not be a saviour, they might not come back and someone to be able to save. And then you're like, for me personally, it was, I think I was 33. So I'm, I'm in the back of my mind is, who takes a 33-year-old? Somebody only takes a 33-year-old if they work with them and they know who they are, they know the character. Like, I kind of like, my career was that. It was coming down the slope. So the people I'd work with were still like championship managers and league one managers. They're like, they ain't going to throw you, a, throw you a life raft and say, yeah, come on, we'll take it for the taking. They ain't going to be able to get across the, the, um, <clears throat> their board or the chairman's desk without saying, what's this all about? So that... On a personal front, that was in the back of my mind with uh, two young kids, etc. So, yeah, you, you do think about that, but then you, you, you live in hope that something happened. And then, as I said, there was points when I, I we had the uncomfortable conversation in the changing room about not playing pre-season friendlies. And you get, as I said, as a captain's role, you go in and do the balance and stuff like that. It was me I had to walk in, <laughs> in Dino's office and say, he's like, what's up? I'm like, I need to have a chat with you. And this is after training. He's like, what's going on? I went, you're not, the lad's not playing today, tomorrow. And he's like, what do you mean? I went, had a meeting, had a conversation. The vast majority are, we're not playing just in case you break your leg, you're absolutely screwed. So they're happy to come in and do a training session, but we're not going to go play a contact football match. And we know it's pre-season, so we're happy to come in and train, but we're not going to play any more matches until we know what's happening, just in case somebody gets injured. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of, you were the, Obviously, as the captain, you're the de facto spokesman of the. I mean, I mean, there must have been younger lads, lads with mortgages to pay. You know, a lot of you were in. You need the money. It's it's not a case of you've got. 
you're getting 80 grand a week or whatever these big earners are on now, hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. I mean, while you're trying to figure out your own situation, how difficult was that, that people are coming to you saying, Dean, what, what's, what's going on? When am I going to get paid? When am I going to be able to pay my, my mortgage off? It, it is. It's all the conversation. I said it was quite a mature group. There was a few young lads in there, like the first year pros, second year pros. But it was quite a mature group. Yeah. Uh, as in age, so it, it was fairly easy on that side. But then you obviously the reassurance for the younger lads. Vast majority of them still living parents, so it wasn't right. a case of like you know what someone's got mortgage to pay, other than the older players. And look, if I'm entirely honest, at that level of football, we talked about national league. And even to, to an extent, they're into League Two. A lot of players live wage bracket to wage bracket. And yeah, so unfortunately, when that happened, I mean, we wasn't getting paid. And you then like, shit, what's happening there? So it gets to that day, obviously August 10th, 2011. Everyone, Wrexham knows that well, raised 127 grand. Still amazing to this day. I think it's one of the amazing days in, in the club's history. We're able to then pay players, get players in. People like Westy then come into the fold, uh, and others were able to kind of strengthen the the relief that must have been. You know, you you because you came on. I don't know whether it was that season or, or the one after. You ended up taking a pay cut. Um, I, I don't know what, what kind of contract that was, but the relief that must have come across everyone when when look the fans have taken it over. Yes, there's difficulties ahead, but look, we've got we've got a football club. Yeah, look, it was massive. I, I, look, I said as a player. And I said it when I was a manager, that's probably the day that lived mostly in my mind. The FA Trophy Day, unbelievable football reason. But that day, I knew it was a special place. I knew it was a big club. I mean, where it is situated up in North Wales and so on. That kind of day then really hit on to say, you know what, it is the pinnacle of the area. The football club is the heart of Wrexham. It's sitting there, town or whatever. And, uh, so yeah, it's massive. So like we I saw people walking across car park at college, dropping money into the finger into the buckets, and I'm like, I was taken aback by it. I was taken aback by it. And then obviously then after that, Dino had a <laughs> pile of cash. Obviously, I hope the tax man don't watch this. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like you getting paid to me your money in cash. I remember going in and he's like, right, what do you want? And he's got like maybe it was a cash, and I'm like, I'm okay. I said, look, there's obviously going to be people it's going to be a, worse, a lot worse situation than me. I said, look, I'm not saying I can play for the next three months or four months without getting paid. I said, but I'm all right. I don't need anything. And uh, he went, well, look, give me, he went, right, there's 200 quid. At least you've got some money in your pocket. So he gave me 200 quid. And like some of the other players were having to take money because they had to get the money into the bank and to go be able to push the bank to, to pay mortgages and stuff like that. So it was, it was a touching day that, to be fair, to see people come in and and remember right people put up the deeds of their house mm. it tells you everything and do you know what the disappointment thing is a player and to one of the managers not to be able to pay that not that I could turn and say knock us be and say that was done for you but those are the moments that have lived with me from since being associated with the football club and all being well over the next couple of years well over the next next season day them days will not get repaid in any special kind of way it's just like what you've done them years ago you finally got a little bit of a reward back these many years later. Let's hope, let's hope. Goosebumps still about that day. Moza becoming the manager, having been a player, obviously a completely different dynamic. What was that like in terms of you lot? I mean, was there kind of a... I mean, it has to change. The relationship just has to... It can't be... 
mates, 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 can it? Or no, can it can't it? be. It can't be. It's hard. Um, but as I said, he, he was in a good position again. He was still quite a mature group, still mm. experienced. So players, you work it out. It's not like he's young and he's always kind of done that and he's one of our mates. Yeah, we had Christmas dues and we had beers with him. Got to know him really well because I sat next to him in the changing room. So my then and partner used to sit with his missus at the games and stuff like that. When they come there and the kids got to know each other and stuff like that. But we're professional. You Ultimately, you're professional. So, yes, it's not awkward, but you have to demand that it's not Mozart anymore. It's slipped out a few times. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's gaffer as it is. That's, that's the respect that, uh, that you give to the manager at the football club. And beat somebody who's been your mate or a teammate, he's now in that hot seat. So you have to get that, you, you give that person the ultimate respect and you, 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 you call them by what is throughout football, be it coach, boss, gaffer. Looking at, I'm looking at some of the notes on that season, and you already brought it up early. That Luton goal, I watched it back actually. The chip over the over the keeper. The best part about that is that you are you're already turning away, celebrating sort of Alan Shearer style before it's even dropped in. So you've chipped it, and you've sort of gone, yeah, that's definitely in. Uh, obviously, uh, me and others who've listened to this haven't played at any good level, and the cliche is you sort of know when it leaves your boot. Do you just know sometimes? Yeah, that, yeah. That it's perfect. Look, Beth Kidderminster one, I knew it. So it was it. That one then. Um... Mark Tyler, yeah, years good mates with at Peterborough. So I, many, many shots with Tyler's like shooting drill and training and stuff like that. And he just sometimes in a football pitch, look, it's hard to describe this. You have feelings and your awareness, and you know where you next. You know where the ball. You know, be like a seven sense. You know the balls will come out to you. So you've already seen it develop what's going to play out, beat middle of the park and the ball comes out, there's four players on together, it just ricochets, you end up zinging it 30, 40 yards inside the pitch. People are like, whoa, like that. But as a player, you've seen it already before it happens two, three seconds before you've seen it visualised. And I knew it was going to come out. I had just had a feeling it was going to come out. And I thought, I'd already assessed the situation dead quick. It was three or four points in front and I thought, I can't put my foot through it because it can hit somebody, go somewhere, or it could get deflected and go in. I thought, you know what? From playing with Tiles, he tiles, he was quite a brave keeper, so we played on the front foot and he always gave himself a little bit of space. So I thought if it comes, I'm gonna go for the dink. And I think I was still about two yards inside the penalty art in, in the area. Yeah. So I've been straight in a bit harder, but because I was on the angle and I could get myself about, I reckon on the angle it was only about 18, 19 yards, opening myself up. I just thought I'm gonna go for the dink instead of trying to bypass all the players and knowing full well tiles and probably about five yards out. And it, it, it worked. <laughs> Yeah, so splitting splitting that season up because obviously so much to talk about FA Cup in that season, and I was there at Brighton, and and I know Brentford was a great day, and told Tolly wouldn't stop talking about that goal at Brentford. We don't need to worry about that one. But on the league front, the one that sticks in my mind that season in in terms of like you say, we're battling Fleetwood. It's un unreal. We spoke to a lot of players from that group. They just said, look, we didn't feel like we were going to lose games. Just going in, felt like we were so good. Then we went to Fleetwood on a, I think it was a Tuesday night, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and they could have won the league that night if they beat us. And, and obviously we, we go there and get a draw. I think Spate score, Jake Spate scores, and we, we probably could have gone and won the game there. Vardy probably should have got sent off. Yeah. Go, going, in, go, going into that one, was there a feeling of like, lads, we, we cannot let them beat, cannot let them win it here. We cannot let you, them beat us. No, there. you can't. Look, there's nothing worse than a, sportsman, professional sportsman, or any level you want to be, as much as you have to be humble and show respect to your position, you don't want to get turned off and they go and achieve something in your face. Because that, it, 
it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. brutal. The feeling inside is absolutely, it's one of the worst feelings than losing like a family member or losing someone. But that feeling inside, that disappointment, because you can't change it. You can't change it. And watching somebody after euphoria achieving what they wanted to, but you're so close to wanting to do it yourself, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. So there's no way we could have let that happen that night. There's no way. I hope yeah. we'd, have, we'd have done something to turn, out, to turn the results around to get bare minimum walking around the point. Yeah, like I say, I remember Spate scored 20 to goal the season and that night Percival was absolutely clattered by Vardy. Aw- yeah. like awful. And I remember Mozart after was just like, that is ridiculous. But, you know, we, we we delayed it really, which I know for the fans was, yeah. in the end, look, you, you've essentially just kicked the can down the road, but it was important we didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, because like you say, there's that, there's that professional pride and it, it focus on the league, we're back again. It's essentially deja vu, Luton again. Did, did that that one, that one feel any different? It was a different group by that point. You're looking at an Andre Gray, and we had, we had Crichton on. I think it was Crichton who came on and said, "Look, that season, that 98 point season. Obviously, Curtis goes in in the January. Get Danny Alfie in. Just felt like they needed a striker. He said he just felt like in the dressing room they just wanted a striker in January. If we'd have had the investment, someone yeah. like an Andre Gray, we we'd have done it. And is that how you feel feel same or not? Uh, yeah, I mean, look. I can remember speaking with Moz about Andre Gray, just going about him after we played him in uh, played Hinkley in FA Trophy. Mm. He'd done really well against us then. And I think he was, I think it was 20 grand. I think it was 20 grand when he'd been touted around that. Look, he, he wasn't there. The pot was never big enough. What the pot that you get for is what it is, it's your budget. It is if you can go and sign something, there's a bit left and you managed it, you can go and sign something. But it wasn't available. I mean, there was talk of um, also in that January and um, Jolly went up coming back and buying us on the arse, didn't he, for Newport's in the final. And it, yeah, we just felt we needed a little bit something. We were, as a group, we were, as I said earlier, we were organised, disciplined, very workmanlike. Like, there wasn't anybody even to say got the massive X Factor. You had Sisu could be a bit different and it was a bit, not off the cuff, but it was what we'd get you off the back of your seat. Just, more says it's in you, play more, do it more, do it more, because he had all the attributes. And it was them players that you look at to think, you know what, to come on and be a match with it, change a game. I mean, we always used to joke about trying to get Glenn Little's brain into six, and if you could do that, you'd end up, you'd end up, you'd end up with a 20 million player. But um, but says like he was the one that for us, I think, showed that down at, uh, down at Brighton in the FA Cup in the first leg. Trophy final came on, outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that, just that bit of magic and and talking of, I mean, that season is the ninety-eight point seasons. Everyone talks about a bit like a, a clinging to us, like a shadow. But also the FA Cup, and for me, unreal memories. You know, Brentford. Um, we've had Jamie talk at length about that and the, and the celebration and and all the meaning behind that. But but that Brighton first leg, massive occasion. Is there a sense of you know you going into it because you, you're so level-headed, even speaking to you now and and, and seeing your player and a manager. What, what was that experience like, that, that that away leg? Because we were really in it, I thought. I thought we gave such a good account of ourselves. Yeah, look, we, I don't think them games, when you at the level that we were and we are, I don't think them games ever go what people think I might be a tender lap. It's not. You're always in there with a fight chance. So he, he gives players a little bit of a lift. I remember being in the changing room, we were like saying to a few younger players, These are, this is where you want to be. This is where you want to perform. This is the level that you want to get to. But you only get there by being consistent, De- um, delivering day in, day out. And that's Monday to Friday, because Saturday's easy. Saturday's piece of piss. And um, 
it's the Monday to Friday is the odd part where people, uh, players don't, these players that look and think, you know what, he's got some, he's, he should be at that level. This is where they don't achieve because they don't do it Monday to Friday because they ain't got the consistency then. And then said Saturday's easy. So saying to the players then, come play on the front foot, believe that you're as good as a person you're up against and show that. And I think that was massive. Enough. And the bits that you hear back then, obviously, Brendan Rodgers was at the game, wasn't he? And that's where he first saw Curtis. And he took him on the yeah. back end of that. So, like, you know what I mean? It just shows that people can be like, oh, sat there watching his son. And he's made a decision like that on a play. We end up getting Brighton. Um, the bus journey back felt like the quickest thing. felt like a two-minute ride back. Chiz, replaying Chiz's goal in about an eight-hour journey, wasn't it? Or something like that. Um we play them at home under the lights. Yeah, no. You know, my race, car, race yeah. course. My car, my car, yeah. car journey. Two hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we play them at home under the lights. Race course is packed. The must-have ticket in town. They looked rattled when they got there, and I think Ashley Barnes and, and Craig McHale Smith gave an interview after, and they thought we've massively got away with one here. Mazda scores. How did you feel in that game before it gets to the shootout? You must have thought, we, we, we're going to do these here, surely. No, look, I mean, obviously, I, was, I think it was something that came on, didn't I, in that game? And uh, mm. I didn't come into the first game. I can remember, I can't remember. And um, no, I mean, look, you come back. It's, one thing about the race course, it's an intimidating place for home players and for away players. I've come there as an opposition player under Daz and Rooster. And so people have inside knowledge of the football club. Quieten the fans for 20 minutes, get the fans on the own players, and the players go under. You start well at the race course, and you're on the front foot. The, the, the 12th man's there, the behind you, it's unbelievable. So it was always, it always has been about start at the race course, to start right, to get the fans up, get them off, the back, off their arses, up in the sudden seats, get them behind them. So that night, it was, again, as I spoke about the first game, it was, it was an easy one. It's an easy one because it's, Right, you know what you've seen them, you know what they're about, you even know even more so now. So, like, the players have gone from that level of confidence to, oh, God, we've got a right chance and we actually fancy ourselves. And the lads done well and they deserved some more out of it. Of it gets to the shoot, yeah, well, yeah, it, it gets to the shootout, it gets to the shootout, your first stop. And, 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 you know, and, and the penalty, the penalty goes, uh, goes as it goes, and, and that's the, the decisive pen. I mean, did that stick with you after, or were you able to just wipe it and it's, it's gone? Uh, you seem like you type that wouldn't maybe cling to it too much. No, look, you, you look. I knew what the football club was about, as in that's not. This is behind the scenes about what money comes in is what generates. I even know that even more now from being under that ownership. Sure. Under it. So that was a big disappointment thing for me of knowing that it probably cost the club a couple hundred grand of revenue off the FA, the next round, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was the big thing for me. Like that, that was a disappointing thing of it. And look, I'd rather, I said after the game, I'd rather me miss a penalty. I've been there, uh, miss penalties. My shoulders are broad enough to take it than a younger lad who would have, might have carried it for a lot longer. So I didn't want to take the first penalty. I, I said this, I said, I want to take the last one. I've always, in penalty shirt, I said, I've always taken the last one. And he was like, no, I need you to go first. And I was like, I haven't been on the pitch that long. I was like, I've got to the last. And uh, no, I went up, I picked my sides. And look, I connected well with it. Direction wasn't what I'd expect in, in my own ability. And it was a good eye. It was just too good of an eye for the keeper. And he got his hand to it. But as I said, it was, um, it, look, the disappointment was it was a financial side because we wasn't in that position of saying, you know what, somebody's going to pump money into it left, right and centre. We had what we had. And it was an opportunity that could get the club 
couple of hundred grand back in the bank. Yeah, I think it was Newcastle, not to rub it in again for all of us, but I think it was Newcastle in the next round and I'd only I think been that there would have been at the race course. And, yeah. I'd, I'd only been there at one point when Kareem scored, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd already ticked out. The rest of us could have, uh, could, could have gone as well. 2012-13 basically about two trips to Wembley, pretty much. One of them, we're digging ourselves out of snow. The other one, I still don't know how that, that one didn't pan out. The first one then, the one that is successful, that when I looked at Wrexham's top 10 Dean Keats moments, Kidderminster wasn't number one. It was the FA Trophy final, lifting the cup. What what was that experience like from the playing side? Because for us, we're digging ourselves out of snow. Me and my dad are pushing the car up the hill. We get there in huge numbers. You know, the, the club's massive, but we get there in huge numbers. You're already down there. We had Chiz on saying he was cursing to himself in, the, in his hotel room because Mozart hadn't started him. What for you, what was that like? Completely different Wembley. It's, um, I'd never played at Wembley. I'd got to, I played at Cardiff whilst we living in player finals, um, missed out twice in argument's sake, the LDV, whatever it used to be, years ago, mm. in finals on away goals, believe it or not. And so I'd never played at the, um, the old Wembley. So for me, it was, I was like a kid, I was like the rest, I was excited, looking forward to it. But I had, I had the coping mechanisms in my system because my experience to be able to like dampen them down and say, look, it's a game. Just play the game. Just play the game. Occasion then takes care of itself. So yeah, as much as I was excited, I, back of my mind it was just like taking your taking your stride, taking your stride. And look, it was we were down there and we knew how cold it was. It was freezing down there. And it was like a bit of sleet, a little tiny bit of snow coming around. But then it's not until obviously social media side that you find out how bad it has been up in North Wales. And you're like, can you see pictures of him? People didn't like, wow. Am I surprised? Not one bit by people that <laughs> dig the way through and turn up in the numbers there to do. So no, not surprised. I'm, I'm not saying that has been, <clears throat> oh, that's what you like, but didn't surprise me one bit because that's that's how people feel about football club. We were getting there no matter what. Before a game, are you completely switch yourself off? Do you, do you like to be nowhere near your phone? Don't want any contact? Have you got? A, did you have a routine of how you, how you did it, or were you quite flexible on, on that side? Yeah, look, I'm. As a player, um, I'm quite relaxed. I, I, I love a bit of banter. Obviously, you might see me, see, people might see me in a different light of where I am on mm. my real side, but I'm still that person. So my emotions, obviously, when they need to be different, they're on, bang. I, am, I could be like a light switch. I could still be taking the piss in the corridor, but as soon as we line up in that corridor, I'm bang, my game mode is kicking. I know what my job is. I know what I'm about. I know what the strengths are. I know what I need to do. So... I was quite, I've always been quite relaxed. So the night before the game, it was usual, laughing a joke, uh, just enjoying it around the hotel, etc. So obviously I used to room with Joe. And um, so I, when I was playing, I was like always being about when I'm playing like health, diet, nutrition, stuff like that. So I used to take my Nutribullet with me, like a carry bag, like um, spinach, kale, shit like that. <laughs> so I used to make like smoothies <laughs> in the morning before we got our breakfast and stuff like that. But I'd imagine he's talked about what happened to him the night before the game, didn't he? Like, obviously, disappearing at the hotel for a few hours, getting head together. So I was, I'm rooming with Joe. And um, so it was a relaxed atmosphere around it. And I think sometimes managers feel the day before, if you can get your team off, the weight off your shoulders, and then from walking in these shoes and all this. So when you've named it the day before on a Friday, you're like, 
half a day. So I'm done there, really. Just turn the lads turn up at half past one, get yourselves ready. Three o'clock, I'll have quarter three, I'll come up, give you a reminder on a few things, go and play your game. So Moz was speaking to people, players the night before, as you just said, the is. And we sat in the hotel room and the phone goes, you think it's one of the lads pissing around, like Ashley J or something like that. And I answer it and uh, it's Moza. And I'm like, hello, and you're at the uh, key scene. I'm like, yeah, he's like, it's the gaffer. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking, I'm going to get the hook here then. And I went to, uh, you're in the room, you're crazy, in you? And I'm like, yeah. And then you went, uh, can you tell him to come and see me? And I'm thinking to myself, me, I'm in the right position here. <laughs> so I put the phone down and I rolled up and he's looked at me and I'm like, uh, with Mozza, he went what? He went. He wants you to go and see him. He went off, and I went no. I went no. He went fucking banned from me, yeah. He went who was it? Well, that's around, didn't you? I went. I was like Joe. I wouldn't banter about something like this. I said I love a laugh and a joke, and to be as ruthless as it can be, not this mate. I said not this. I said It'd be too good of a mate for me to actually be play a part in this happen to you. And he went like what room? And he went and told it. He went down. And I think he came back to the room and then he just disappeared. And he'd gone for about an hour and a half, two hours walking around London, trying to get hold of him. He won't answer his phone. And then you're like, you know, where's he gone? What's he done? Blah, blah, blah. It was such a great lad. Such a great lad. And he speak about everything that he'd done. He used to travel with him all the time, played for nothing at football club and stuff like that. And still made him known. He's such a good lad. And you feel, you actually feel for people like, you know what I mean? Look, I've been left there myself. And it's hard, but for that to be at Wembley and stuff like that, it, it must to be on the end of that. It, was, it must have been horrific for him. And I obviously took phone calls. I was like thinking, oh my god, I'm like the, the person, the go-between here, and I'm like, don't shoot the messenger kind of thing. And obviously, he came back and he calmed down. And look, after that, next morning he got up and he done what he done. He was a part of the group, and he played his part, and he was the ultimate professional. And he ended up coming on and contributing. We're we're so nervous in the fan base. We're we're you know we're sweating bullets. We're there in front of us. Kevin Thornton as the penalty, and you know, not not I would say not a player that fans really knew off the. We didn't really just know, we didn't really know much about him really. He just, he just was quite you know quite a low profile guy in in among the fan base. Slots it the way the game unfolds. They go and score. I mean, it was such a nip and tuck game wasn't it uh, Danny Wright strikes the post I mean barely anything to split the team I mean what was it like to play in I know Jay sort of came close and had a good go and so little between us no it was like you said it was a very very close game and uh, they went 1-0 didn't they Cookie Pump oh they, they might have gone 1-0 yeah, yeah, yeah sorry Pump, Kevin Thornton scores yeah and um, no I got brought down for the penalty and I was due to take the penalty again and um, we spoke about it on a Friday and he, the uh, kitten was um, Kit and Kev, he was like, I'll take the penalty. And I was like, no, I'm, pe- I'm penalty taker. And obviously when Sean brought me down, I was just riddled with cramp and absolutely in tatters. And I went to him, you'll take it. I said, take it. He went, well, I said, I can't move. My calf is gone. I said, I cannot move. And I was not like at the point of like, you know what, sacrifice myself for that. I just didn't feel I was in the position to think, you know what, if I plant my leg, my right calf, because that was why I cramped up and he cramps, was about to take it. Could end up like walloping it over the crossbar or something like that. So I just said to him, I said, You take it. I said, My calves, my calves are gone. It's, it's absolutely killing me. Fortunate enough, as he is, look, as a passer, he was calm. He knew how good of a player he was. Yes, he had, he looked at somebody for the career, had a little bit of history with baggage and all that. Um, he had a lot very soon. 
But look, he, he was, there's no denying he was a good, very good football player. And look, he dispatched it exactly how, how, how I would have expected him to win. But he asked him to change him, no one would have taken it. I, w- I was going to get into his nickname, but we've got too much to get through to start getting into the player nicknames. I think that was Blakey. Um... He was Bagpuss, wasn't he? I remember <laughs> right. Bagpuss, I think he was big cheeks. I think it was Blakey again, yet again, nicknamed somebody. So, so, so many, so many nicknames in, in that group. And, and, you know, Johnny goes up, there's that amazing picture, he slots it, you know, young lad that had really come through. I think he's talking about experienced dressing room, he's probably on the young, much younger side of that of that group. Yeah. He slots it, what a moment, you're all running towards us from the touchline. What was what was that moment like to, to know you've, you've won it, you're a captain, you're going to lift a trophy at Wembley? It was just euphoria, it was unbelievable. It was just like, as a group, you just want to go and celebrate and... I think, like, if we hadn't won the toss and we're funny enough, turning around to run back towards the fans or running towards theirs. But I think you look back and I've got, I found somebody the other day funny, I just sorted some of the stuff out. And uh, I found one of the old, another pictures, the massive pictures that they had from, I don't know if the lead or the polls have done it. It's like, yeah, off running towards it. I found it and it's got half the lad's signatures on it. I looked at that and it's like, what smiles to me? And he has the back of your neck go up and that. And, but it's got fans in it. So that's what makes it even better, because just to see a red. Because if you look running towards black and white, you're in red. You're like, yeah, it was a great occasion and all that. But then you look at it and you think, oh. but obviously, because we're running towards our own fans, it just makes it like a ten out of ten moment. And you get to walk the Wembley steps. Are you thinking at this point, you know, because the kind of trophies you got your hands on? Obviously, you'd got your hands on a few. You'd be lucky enough to have been promoted a few times. Were you, were you wondering about the the kind of that moment, or as you walk the steps, because it is quite a long long way up there, and uh, you know, right at the right at the top. FA Trophy or not, it felt like the World Cup. It's something that you dream of as a football as a football player, as a kid. You, you dream to be a football player, and the part of that dream is when I was growing up. I remember like years ago, the FA Cup. It was a family occasion. Sit down, you'd be on for hours of build up. You dream of walking up the Wembley steps. Yes, it wasn't the traditional Wembley. It is what it is now. It's the new Wembley. So. It was just an amazing occasion, and I was just fortunate. And my older two were there to, to see it. Um, obviously, now teenagers and all that. And my own lad playing football. And I've got absolute football. My ten-year-old who didn't only saw me right at the end of my career. Um, my daughter. So, yeah, as a personal note, was probably look. There's that in the Warsaw. The last promotion at Warsaw. I scored the ninety-third uh, minute uh, equaliser to win us the title. It's hard to split them two moments. They are up there to say, like, I look back and they are the two best moments of my career. And going up there and watching elite football players, international football players, and stuff like that, when they just, you could, as I said, it could have been a World Cup. There's no difference between the FA Trophy and the World Cup. It was just absolutely amazing. You had family, friends there. Um, obviously, all our fans, it was just an absolute unbelievable experience. I go up. I mean, look, the trophy was nearly, nearly the pissing size of me, wasn't it? <laughs> I pick it up, and the lid drops off, and it's me on top of the head. So it's just, just one of them. But it was just, it was amazing. It was just a great day uh, all round, and, and a great night by the sounds of it. it. Sounded like you ended up uh, in the middle of Wrexham with the trophy, or it sounded like you, not, you and the trophy me, took a little not detour. Me not no, you. No, um, look, we made our way back. We got back. On the coach, all the beers on the coach, and free fire, so it was a great, great laugh. Gay was being Jay after he'd had a couple of cans, he's absolute nightmare. 
chewing Barry's, Barry Owen's ear off and uh, about holiday at the end of the season and the bonuses and that. And uh, So, yeah, just unbelievable. We got back up to the old lodge. Um, obviously, all the family had only left and got up, got up, got back up before us. And so, no, I I said in the old lodge, I had, obviously, then my kid's mum, uh, my ex was there, my kids and that there. And we just continued on tonight. A few of the lads went into the town and stuff like that, but I don't know. That's the story ever been said about Jay, how pissed he was swinging the kids around up. And yeah, he had, um, it was Spencer's daughter. She's about the same age as my oldest. She'd be a bit, no, she'd be older. Um, he was swinging around her head like, like that. And like, my ex calf was like, D, get hold of our kids now, get them away from it. Mine were like, at the time, I think they were about six and four. They were like, get them away from him. He had all, everybody's kids on his shoulders. And, <laughs> Got he got, he got, got, himself, got himself out of babysitting duties, I think, there. I think he'd, he'd, put, off, he'd, put, off, he'd put, off the wives, put off the wives and girlfriends at that no, point. No, often, obviously. Um, Blakey, in my, in my, uh, my son's buggy, snapped it. He was pissed up at his head, so I had to push him back to the room in his buggy in the, in the, in the lad's trailer. Tight arse had he is, never refunded the money back for it. Wrecked me buggy. But now, it, it was a great night, and as I said, like, it was just everybody was there, and it was just unbelievable. So then, fast forward in the league, we're back there. We beat Kidderminster. We, we finished bottom of the playoffs at that point. Um, we, we we do it. We finally get over the hurdle, get to the playoff final. We've never been closer to going up and getting out of non-league since that day. Brett Ormrod did a podcast, uh, and that was bizarre. Uh, go the Fearless and Devotion podcast. Go listen to that if if you haven't already. But that was that was mad. That that was the weirdest hour and a half I've ever listened to in my life. But in that he was talking about how he, he definitely should have scored and it still and he still thinks about that moment. Looking yeah. back to that game. That, yeah that, look, that, that game you must have thought, how have we not won this? That was I was was at the point then I I was playing with a broken foot. So I, I wasn't training. I was literally in an air cast boot. And um, the club, to be fair to the doc, Shahir at the time, he was travelling around the country with us, not getting paid, just to jab me with anaesthetic to soak up play the games. Played the last three or four games, played the play- all the playoff games, the final, a couple of league games left after the trophy. Um, I broke my big toe. And so I'd just been in an air cast boot, so money didn't trade, couldn't train, set the bike, that's it. Um, jab it, and after that, then you can start to wear off and... Um, during the game, he topped me up again at half time, and so you just start feeling you're like, What, why, why is this? Why is it wearing off so quick? Why is it not having an impact in the game and stuff like that? As much as I'd like to have been, and you just get the feeling about a game. And as you said, that one chance for Brett, maybe that was the one that you turn around and think, You know what, well, maybe Ryan was on the wall that day, just not meant to be our day because of all the people you wanted to fall to with Brett because he scored goals to get teams in the Premier League. and it just just did not it did not happen. Not for a want to try in that day, but it just it just we got caught and straight ball over the top, wasn't it? I think uh, I think Rawls was underneath it and Jolly who we just spoke about and uh, ran in behind and uh, he left Dave Dave Artel. No, it, it it look you're talking there about Dave Artel and Martin. You know. My, brilliant centre backs for us and and all these great centre backs we've had and, and midfielder. Ultimately, it it wasn't to be. And I spoke to someone recently, and they said, "Nate, uh, the the 
the disappointment I felt that day. I've not felt it since. Obviously, we lost recently at Wembley, but the Newport one just stung so bad because we were so we were ninety minutes away. You, can well, see, you, you yeah. talk about seeing the finishing line, getting across the finishing line. You're at the finishing line. It's, it's, it's a photo finish. You've got to dip down, and we got what was it? The 80th minute, 80th minute, something like that. 75th yeah, minute, something like that. It's when it comes that close to the end as well. I think it's doubly, doubly worse. If you if you end up going one or two nil down, you've got in the first half, you've got about oh, 40 minutes, 50 minutes to prepare yourself for it. But when it's that close to the end, as a fan, I think it does twice as hard, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, it's not hard enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Rich, Rich isn't here with me on recording this podcast, just me. But he said if you get to speak to Dean, that he one story wants to know, and it was the following season. You're back down to earth in the bonkers non-league. We're playing Barnet. We're away at Barnet. The most bizarre, one of the most bizarre national league things that's ever happened. Edgar Davids wearing the number one is playing for Barnet in midfield against us. Lot you, Jay, and others in there. And 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 you know what I'm going to ask. We're trying to get the ball back. Mark Carrington's down, waiting for a free kick. You're, you, it looks like you sort of go over to him. If you watch, definitely go and watch the footage if you haven't. But it looks like you, you're going over to get the balls. Next minute, out of nowhere, not even in the frame, like WWE, Stephen Wright comes steaming in. And and Edgar Davids just absolutely leathers. Oh, I'm trying to, I'm elbowing me uh, well, the microphone it, here. Is it, one and, Dan, is it one Dan Karate or something like that? Or something bizarre. Davids is. That's what I got told. Yeah. It, Look, you're mad. There's a, I, was, I taught you from it at the beginning. There's a saying as now, you never meet your heroes. <laughs> that was one of them occasions because, like, as a kid, like, my big hero was like Brian Robson and stuff like that as a kid growing up. And then you look at the team he was in Davos, the Ajax team, and then he went on. He played for all the biggest teams in, in Europe and in the world. And he was unbelievable football player. I mean, you think that was like a pit bull and that. And then you get there and you think, right, well, he's the manager. Get yourself the number one, makes yourself the captain. So you're like, you know, who's, it, who's this about now? Who's it about? Is it about the individual or the football club and the team who we're playing? So I can remember walking down the team sheet with Billy Bob and uh, go to the referee's room, as you do, and uh, we knock on the door. We, we're ready. So, say two o'clock or quarter to two, I can't remember if it was 15 before it used to be, but now it's two an hour. So we stood there. Nothing. And I'm like, to referee, like two minutes, it's two minutes past now. I've gone, Billy, what's time? I've gone, two minutes past two. I went, is he taking a piss? And he went, well, what do you mean? I went, it's two minutes late. So it's disrespectful to you and to us. I said, go knock on the door and get him. I said, if he's the captain, I said, he's here. So the referee goes to their changing room, knocks the door. He don't get changed in here. He goes on changing room. And I went like that. He's got his own changing room. And I went to the referee. I went, fuck that. I went, there's our team sheet. And I went, Billy, I'm going. And the referee went, no, you can't. I went, no, no, no. I said, I'm getting ready to go to a football match. I said, he can't be even asked to turn up. I said, you can't even be asked to go find him. And it was about, in the end, about four or five minutes past two. And I was like, I'm going. And eventually he came out. And I just thought, you know what? Absolute dick. <laughs> I just thought, you know what? It's so disrespectful to treat the opposition like that. And you know what? Not being mind games, because it's not, you can play as many mind games as you want if it's like a lower league player against a lower league player. But when you, you're like that, for me, it's just arrogance. And it's just somebody having an ego. I think, you know what? And when the turn around and said to him, um, oh, we got his own changing room. And their players had to call him sir on the pitch. <laughs> God's on his truth. And um, speaking to one of their midfield players, uh, Weston, and I went, did you just call him sir? And he went, yeah, we got to. And I went like that. You, I went like, you kidding me? 
He went, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I have to do. And I was like, ah, oh, you've taken throwing goal kicks and everything, wasn't it? And I was just like, thought to myself, wow. I felt actually felt sorry for them, their players, their team, their squad, because I thought, you know what, I've only ever been, it's not about an individual, it's about the team, collective, it's a group, it's a changing room. That's the biggest thing, the changing room. And I think, you know what, just to, to be in that, I would not have been able to be in that changing room because I wouldn't be able to keep it emotional because I'd be like, I'd, lose, I'd end up saying something. It was bonkers because we ended up. He gets a he gets a straight red card, rightly for the elbow on Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright also gets sent off, and then we get a free kick. We're one nil down. Obviously, they scored early in the game. That's now long forgotten. It's all about, like you say, it's the Edgar Davids show. He's been sent off. We get a free kick. Where have you pulled that out of your locker? Where's that? Where, where, where's that been hiding in the locker? <laughs> There's been a few of them over my career. There's been a few. I've scored a few for Exeter, didn't I? He scored a couple, but that was I don't I don't know whether we were just maybe just drunk on the game at that point, but that that is a beauty, isn't it? Come on, that is that is yeah, I mean, in the okay. moment it's in. Okay, there's a story to that because obviously I scored that and um, I scored another one similar to Peterborough for me. That story I got bollocking off that for that off for this one, <laughs> massive bollocking. And um, obviously I scored it, scored it, blah blah blah. Gone and it was parents' evening on the Monday after the game for my daughter. So I've gone in school, done parents' evening for my daughter, and uh, one of the teachers walked past, and he's ah, Mr. Keats. And I was like, chat Mr. Shaw. I was like, yeah, Mr. Shaw. He went, uh, my best mate, not happy with you yesterday. <laughs> You've actually accumulated <laughs> 300 quid. And you scored equalised in the last minute. <laughs> Brutal. So, yeah, so I got a bit of stick off the teacher, very best mate, cost me 300 quid. His accumulator rolled over to our game. <laughs> I guess there's, there's sort of one more thing that I want to touch on before we do, as we normally do, some kind of quick ones about teammates. But, you know, well documented that you didn't, as a player, you didn't see eye to eye when Kevin Wilkin came in. Just the, the way you ran the football club, it, you know, and the, not not alone. There were other players in there that definitely, you know, Neil Ashton, for example, gave a podcast that <laughs> was very straight about uh, the, the the time there. What What about that relationship? That, that those methods that we don't see Monday to Friday didn't you like? I didn't have a look. I won't say I didn't have a bad relationship with Kev. We didn't really have a relationship. Um, look, he do you if he spoke, he'd probably say things that he didn't like what I done or anybody's done or any players. It's look, it's one of them, isn't it? Somebody you deal with things in that moment and at that time. Um, I think from the start, it might have been strained. The more I know now, after, it, it was probably, it was always only ever going to be strained. Um, I think when Kev came in, um, Barry wanted him to have me as a player coach. So straight away, you come into a football club. Uh, yeah, you're the manager, but then there's a player being pushed to you. Ne- don't know him, never worked with him, never crossed paths. And so I think maybe that's probably put a guard up for him against me straight away um so i've gone in uh he's pulled me in we've had a chat he's gone on about it and he'd already announced his, his own number two gary mills and he said to me about it and i went look i said i've got one full year left in me uh, i believe i said i want to concentrate mainly on the plane i said even down at peterborough um once a week every couple of weeks he used to let me take a session with midfield players i said so i'm happy like that and he said well what about title I, said, I don't need a title I said, so if you trust me enough to go and like take a few younger lads or midfield players and do a bit with them, I said, I'm happy to do that because that's what I've done down at Peter a few times. 
Um, I said, I don't need a title. I said, look, I've got one, I believe I've got one full proper season left in me. I said, and then that transition then will be, look, I'd like to get involved on the other side of the game more. I said, but I still feel in next season, I'll look after myself and in decent enough shape to, that I can contribute at least half a season when needed or three quarters of a season. After that, there was never another conversation regarding it, of any, me doing anything. Uh, I went and saw him in the pre-season um, because... That pre-season, it was, it was very old-fashioned, um, bump, 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 running. And I'm all for what, for what he said. Um, he was like, everybody does the same. Everybody does the same amount of yards. Everybody does this. And I was like, I said, yeah, but I'm 30, 34. And I'm expected to do the same kind of run, same times as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old. I said, my legs can't do that anymore. I said, so either bring my runs down or give me a little bit more on the time. And he was like, no, we all do this, we'll do that. And I was like, that's fine. That pre-season, every single player got injured. Every single player got injured in the pre-season. And it wasn't until the last friendly um, up at Brill, there's only two players who hadn't missed any time in pre-season. I think Ashley was the last one just before the real game. So the older players, more battle-hardened to say, so the bodies are used to being pushed and pushed and pushed. But when your older players are just going boom, 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 Ashley went... Me and Bish went in the, uh, the real game and I'd never had suffered really with soft tissue injuries. Before I signed for Wrexham in that season, you could, I'd had, only had two male career. I had two in that season and um, ruptured my hamstring and a ruptured my thigh. And I just said to him, I said, look, I don't, I think it needs, we need, yeah, I'm all for what you're saying because I'm massive about, it's all about the team, but then players understand, players do understand well, the older lads, you're only doing five. Younger lads are doing six. You're doing seven. You can push them a little bit more. That so we had we had a chat about that, and he he was like, "No, we did not so That's fine. Fuck it on the gym. It is what it is. I get on with it because that's always been my case." And obviously, I got injured. And obviously, that you you I, I think I missed the first about ten eleven games maybe of the season because mm. my hamstring had gone. And then it was just a case of then you chasing your tails, trying to get back up, get back up. And then he didn't really see me really give me opportunity give me give me a chance there was a lot made about the, the table tennis thing wasn't there <laughs> that <laughs> look um without going into absolute details it was you, i have no doubt it was probably me who's always got hung out to someone who had a lot to say i was in a change with a lot of experienced players so a lot of players weren't happy with it but again you have to be a voice because as we spoke about you're the one that funnels through so I went out and had a conversation with him about the, the table tennis. And in the end, my point was, how am I meant to get in your team when we've got a game tomorrow night on a Tuesday night? And we've lost on Saturday, so we've, we've not, picked a, not picked a positive results. I'm all for being a bit different, rejuvenate lads, get lads off the pressure, but then I should have been training. It was me and all the other players not played any minutes, I've not done anything. We should have been training. Because straight away, if you're not training, I'm all as a player, even when it went into the manager side, I was always about it. Look, you train hard for the week, your sack becomes that easy. So your performance is dictated to what you do for the week. So I need to train the day before the game, I need to be sharp, I need to be at it. And then to be saying, No, you're on the table, you're playing part of the table competition. I was like, No, I'm gonna go train. So I went and trained with Andy Davis and Joey John and used to play just on the off chance. Because if I'd walked in on Tuesday night and said, You're starting, not shit. And I could turn around and said to him, 
well, I've not trained the day before. And he turned around and said, well, that's, well, I've done that. You could have gone and trained with the youth team. So I have to make sure I cover my own bases if there's going to be a disagreement. So that's why I went and trained. So it wasn't me who let it out. It came out of other fingers, but that's the way it was. And there was, look, it wasn't a strained relationship at all. I mean, look, I'm a professional football player. I've not been, I've been at other football clubs and the managers told me, can't play you, blah, blah, blah. Want to play you, I can't play you. Chairman's can't, I can't play you. Just get on with it. And um, I went and saw him one time. I said, why am I not playing? And without saying he blatantly lied to my face, he, he almost did. And uh, he just turned around and said, well, I'll put it to a vote about the team. And uh, and the other members of staff think there's better options in there. I was like, fine, no problem. And I'm, I'm walking out thinking, hang a second, you want to manage it, your team, your head's on the top, chopping block, as I know that. And uh, so... The other members of staff are, there's obviously Kev, Gary Mills. Didn't really see either Gary Mills at all. That's water on the bridge and we've sorted that since. Uh, Mike Oaks and Carl Darlington. So Kev's told me what he says. I'm not going to get nothing off Mills, so I've gone straight to Darlow, straight to Oaksy. And gone, why are you voting for me not to play in the team? And I get totally different answers off them because I've known them and they professional respect of what, yeah, I don't know the normal character. Then I was like, right, don't pump. When I come and see you, at least give me, I'd rather be honest. One thing I learned <clears throat> my whole career, I've only been honest and now I apply myself. And when <clears throat> I got the opportunity to be the manager, Joey, when we did that first game, Stanford, after that, I had a chat with Joey and Joe said, Look, I'm stepping aside. You are the right person to take football club forward. He said, My only piece of advice is be honest with them. Said because they might not like you, they might not get on with you, but at least the term and say he was honest. Mm. And that's always stayed with me. So I've always only ever been with the players as honest as I can be, treating them with how I'd want you to be treated. And I just felt you disrespected me a little bit there by saying, Oh, um, I'll put it out to a vote and everybody voted that you're not playing. And I'm, I've got to, I spoke with two people and they've both gone, You know, we both, I want you to play and you want you to play because all the stats say is when you play, we'll be more football matches. I would have never an issue. Look, I'm professional. What I've done. It was a hmm. still it was an experienced group. There was one or two things that happened with other experienced players there, and didn't get treated respectfully enough. And I think it just become very dysfunctional from what it was before. Previously, the old football club, it just become segregated and dysfunctional. And he wasn't a bad person, Kev, at all. I hmm. he was. I think what he needed, he needed an experienced number two, really experienced number two to help him. Even though he's like, obviously, and I'm not speaking with any disrespect to him, obviously from my age, from when I went into it, he was older than me when he done it. Obviously, he'd been a manager somewhere else. I yeah. think coming from part-time and doing it twice, two nights a week, to full-time, to a football club, and the expectation is massive. And you've still got whole old players, veteran players who've played at a good level. And... Have a standard of thing. Well, I'm second. This ain't good enough. Blah blah blah. And in, as I said earlier, the, the players had to come from teachers, come from teachers, other regarding stuff. Like you're shit today. They ain't good enough. You need to be better tomorrow. Blah blah blah. So a lot of it gets seen as if players are speaking like that and it's not driving in the way that everybody should be. It has been previously. People try to turn it around and say it gets a little bit toxic. Possibly did towards the end because a lot of people got pissed off with a lot of things, but. For me personally, I'd never really had a problem with Kev. It was just that one yeah. moment. I just thought, you know what? I could have dealt with that situation to my face better than what you did. Look, you know, 
it's been well, we've heard from so many players at that point that didn't see eye to eye with Gary Mills, and that's that's another that's a whole another conversation. But one of the defining things for Kev at the very very end was him. You ask any fan about Kev Wilkin now, one of the things is him taking you off against North Ferriby. That just is, and and he's done a podcast since and spoke about it. You know, he brings Robbie Evans on. What are you making that decision? Because we were, we're we're baffled at that point, and and I see you go off and you don't look happy. I say that no, much. because look, I'm not. I think people. I've said this. I've gone to a few like fans, fans nights, fans forums things. Yeah. I've been asked this question, and I'll still give the same answer I've given given then. The honest answer. With my experience and my age, that I've been there and I've been in football, the, you could sense the game was turning. What was his name? The um, obviously they had Denton up top. He had the gold Eddie lads, head down, ran with the ball, carried it quite well. He was having a little bit of joy down our um, right-hand side. Um, it was around 70 minutes, wasn't it? 70, 75 mm. minutes. They have to throw caution to the wind. That is that time. 2-0 in football is a horrible result, be it as a player or as a manager, because one goal, it just changes. Momentum, anxiety around the stadium, even on that occasion, how big it was, you could, you'd, you'd have sensed it. I just said, look, there was no one more, no one more than myself wanted Robbie Evans to put me on the football pitch. I honestly, I, the day before, I didn't think I was going to start. I was surprised I was started, if I'm honest, when you named the team. So I'd probably been in a Joe Clark situation. <laughs> and, uh, so I started, we got into a position, easily in control of a football match, but you could just start sensing. They have front caution to win. They've got to go for it. Got to go for it. There's about ten minute period in that game from seventy to eighty. It's massive. It's massive because if they get one, they're on the front foot. They get they're on the front foot. They've got ten minutes to keep going, keep going, and they, if we end up getting pushed further back. So all I said when I went over, I said, "Give it another ten minutes." And he went, "No, no, no." I said, "Give it another ten minutes to coming into the game." And yeah, I look back now. I could have probably dealt with it differently myself. But I wasn't being confrontational on the change on the sideline. That was me with my experience of being on the football pitch and being in the middle of the pitch and orchestrating. If I'm not getting on the ball, putting people in the right areas, I could have nullified their, their I could have nullified their um, attacks, just vocalising by putting people in the right area. Because that was one of my strengths. I could talk people through the football match. And um, that's all I said. And I could have probably dealt with it different myself, but I can't deal with it if I step off that football pitch. Look, I wanted to win that game for myself, for my family, for my pride, for my, for my career, for me to look back and say, you know what, Wembley twice, boom, there's two. Disappointment in the playoff final, etc. I've lost another playoffs. But if I step off the football pitch, I can't turn and say something on the sideline, can I? So I just thought, you know what, I've got to say something here because I could sense them coming into the game. And I just thought, I wanted Robbie to win the pitch because I'd been Robbie, hometown club, watched stood in the stands, I've done it at Warsaw. That's why I made him captain when I become the manager because hometown lad, somebody the club runs through his DNA, his veins, they find an extra 10%, find an extra 20%. It means more to somebody from who's grown up in the stand watching it than not somebody, I'm not saying it means more to everybody, but they've got that, they're from the town, they know what it means. What? So that's why I'm, I made Robbie captain and I rated Robbie. So that's why. I wanted him on the football pitch because I was ready to hand that baton over to say, you know what, you're the future of the football club. I've come in, I've done my best. Not really got the club over the line like I anticipated to as a player, which I had hoped to. But at that moment, I just thought, you've got to leave me on the pitch for another 10 minutes to 
if not 15 minutes, and if Robbie needs to last five or six minutes, say he's come on the football pitch and give it, give it him. But I could just sense the, the tide was turning a little bit in the game, and that's all it was. And yeah, as I said, I could probably deal, deal with it back, but I wasn't ranting and raving, swinging arms. I accepted it. I accepted it, and I walked off through it. And yeah, I was pissed off about it, and I was even more pissed off about it when they scored and they got the second one. And without being like an absolute tanger, and I told you so. You know what I mean? It was almost like I didn't want to be proven right, but I did. It is what it is. I'm not, I don't know what it is. Nothing like that. I mean, um, there's, I can remember a point down at, down at Dover. Um, was it after the playoffs? No, the trophy, before the trophy. Down at Dover, uh, but, yeah. and we lost another bench. And the fans come inside and they were absolutely hammering him. This has never came out because no one's ever said it, but mm. I, I popped my head out the dugout and stuck up for him and had a few words with fans. And he actually, like, he took notice of it, Kev did, but nothing's ever been said about that side. It's always been about the negative side. You don't see the side. Yeah. I'm not after a pat on the back. And so I wasn't against him in the changing room at all because that's not the way I've been brought up and that's not the way I've been as a player. So, Look, I've respected his decision when he didn't play me. I had to take it. Uh, it is what it is. I think there was little bits. He didn't probably get me either, if I'm honest. I remember one time right. um, he, we, had a, we had a chat and we were just having a chat. And he, and he said to me, um, when I'm having my speech in the changing room, why don't you look at me? And I just said, look, with all, all respect to you, I said, I don't need to be motivated. I just... I can flip myself in and out of where I need to be. I said, so if I'm not looking at you, it's not because I'm being disrespectful. I'm just going through things where I need to do out there. I said, so if that's the case, you need me to look at you. And from now on, I'll look at you. So after that, um, so obviously you needed something from me. So after that, I just, I didn't look at the floor. I didn't do it. I just well, sat there and just looked at it. So I thought, I want one of the managers to think, you know what? Because I know it's hard when you, <clears throat> when you go around and you're in the change room, you're getting the last little bit of information across and stuff like that. And you're thinking, well, he's looking down, and oh, is he a fucking spider watcher, or is he watching a fly? And there's a few players like that, but I wasn't one of them. I think, so I think maybe you thought I was, but I wasn't. I'm just one of them, just leave me be, but I can zone myself and I can come back out. I don't have a laugh at a job, so you sat next to me, and I could just say to them across that white line, and it's boom, I'll go, go game mode. So I think maybe it's not clashed, not wrong word. We just probably didn't get each other. Mm. Well, look, Dean, we, I've got five years of stuff that I could have asked you. Let's just do to finish off, because otherwise we'll be here all, we'll be here five years on this podcast, otherwise. Um, and very quickly, before I get into some quick ones, I was watching your final goal against Telford. And the most amazing thing about that that people can't realise is there's a guy with a blow-up sex doll behind as you take the penalty trying to put you off and you still slot it away. So there you go. You're a better man than me. But finally, then, for some just some quick fire once you, ones. Once you've had one blow-up doll. Yeah, would you have one? Not all who was the most talented player you played with at Wrexham, do you think? I'd probably say Sis. Yeah. He was all there. As I said, if you could have put Blakey's mind, doing a brain transplant and put Blakey's brain in him, you'd have a 20 million pound player. But he, he was all there. You just think, come on, Sis, come on, come on, come on, because he had every attribute just to play there. And he didn't have a bad attitude. You just think, come on, be consistent, be consistent, drive it out yourself a little bit more. Because a manager, coaches, Players around you can't always make you. Some days people just walk in and they may have had a shit morning at home, shit journey come in for whatever reason, but then players can go, you know what, park that, 
I'm at work, give her everything. And that's not saying Sid's couldn't, I'm just saying you just want him to go on. He, he had everything. He was quick, he could pass, he could strike a great ball. He just go on, go on, do his stuff. You could you can see why he was at City for as a kid. You just think, come on, show it a little bit more. Now you drop into the league and show a bit more, you get back to where you need to go. But no, I'd probably say Sid's. Who um who, who was, I mean, maybe yourself wasn't this category, or maybe someone would put you forward. Who was the best trainer, day-to-day, solid at it, never never wavered? You, you could name a few. Yeah, I'd look. I'd better blow my arm from Peter. I'd put myself straight in there. Um, mm. Actually, Jay Harris, one of the worst trainers. Really? Big, big yeah. moaner? No, just, he's one of the players, in my younger days, he weren't until I got, got to know him. I used to get frustrated with him, but how Jay is, Jay could, didn't need to be at it all through the week. Jay could just turn up and play and be bang at it. See, because how I was is I had to be my way because that got the best out of me because technically I was okay. I was okay, okay, everything, average everything. But the one thing I had to be superior, I was to get the best out of myself and be consistently bang at it. Jay was a good little player. But Jay could be shit for the week, and I've seen him shit for the week, and then he's been outstanding on Saturday. And you think you work people's characters, and you think that's just his way. That's his way. So you don't get on. You just you leave them people to it because he doesn't have two or three bad games when you're back to turn and say that's because you're shit in training. He'll have a shit game or an average game, but then he'd be banged back up there. So Jay would probably be the, um, one of the worst trainers that I've played with, but he's one, also one of the best players. Do, do you feel like? teams now or ourselves in particular a lot of talk about midfield and you know without getting too much into the players there now Luke Young who, who a lot of us love and all that are we, are we missing is the game missing the Jay Harris types the Dean Keats types now where, where are those players why, why are they so hard to find I think football it's been coached out of football it's been coached out of football um, Youngie I see it in Youngie there's points look when I came back my coach went to me the second time why do you play why do you put get your boots back out? And I went, last, I can't. So I need to lose half a stone. So put yourself on a diet for a few weeks, train and play. Because, look, I know it's documented. I love Jungi as well. Jungi was everything my manager wants. I saw so much myself in him. Every day, he just turned up and done his job. And he'd be consistently training to a high standard. And you're like, you know what? Players like that make your life so easy. And then when you've got everybody doing that, things happen. And so for him to be him to be like that and that kind of thing, he was just there. One thing I, I used to say to Youngie that that you can't put a voice in someone that's that's actually in somebody that's there. And you can't make somebody talk. You know what I mean? I've tried you tried everything with quiet football, don't talk. Then you got to talk, and then you share like, who you're passing to just to get people's voices. Sean, big talker. Manny, not a big talker. Myself, part of my game was being like that. So obviously that was after this. And like to me, why do you get yourself fit? Just come play. Put yourself at bottom of three. And Youngie will do all your running in front of you when I first came back. And I was like, I can't. That looks horrendous on the group of players here. No, I've not played for two years. You, you could have given yourself that. You could have given yourself the number one and gone, you made them call you the sir band. and all that. Yeah. You got you the I've been like to Spencer. Can you build me on changing me, please? Um, yeah, yeah, you could have done that in, in the car park. 
look, Dean, you've been such good value. I feel like I've had the easy job because I get to talk about the playing side. The other lads are going to no doubt grill you on your management. But look, you've been brilliant. Thanks for coming out. And look, you're, you're looking well, mate. You're looking, you're looking really well. It's great to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham AFC podcast brought to you in association with Red 10 People Development. If you enjoyed the music, those stings involved in the podcast, they were brought to you by Wrexham-based band Hypnotic. You can check out their link in the description below. As Nave said right at the top of the podcast, if you can remember all that time back, we will be back again next week to look back on the trip to Yeovil and the trip to Chesterfield. Myself and Nave will be there in Chesterfield on Tuesday night. So if you see us on the terrace, come say hello. And yeah, just enjoy it wherever you've been. Have a nice week. Two more wins, please, Wrexham. The promotion season continues this week. Uh, take care. And like we said, there'll be a Dean Keats managerial episode coming in the weeks ahead from Fearless. We'll give that a push on our socials as well. Thank you very much. Have a nice week. And we'll see you again next time. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.